is Bloomberg Surveillance. You can't count on the United States providing all the demand for the world. We can't be the consumer first and last resort. There needs to be more. I think the Fed got it right last December when they said they would have four increases this year. Investment really is the global issue that we're facing a shortage of right now, and that's really holding back the global economies. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance, Michael McKee and Tom Keen. We welcome you on a Monday. It's a super Monday for us on economics, finance, investment, international relations, indeed a little bit of politics as we go to the um, set of elections that we see tomorrow. As always, Bloomberg Surveillance, we're brought to you by Marks Panath, LLP, ranked among the top three forensic accounting firms in New York by the New York Law Journal for the sixth, sixth, S-I-X-T-H, sixth year in a row. Visit MarksPanath.com, M-A-R-K-S, Panath, P-A-N-E-T-H, MarksPanath.com. Um, I've been waiting for this all weekend. Mike's going to bring him in. The paper... It had a strong set of authors, David Greenlaw, iconic at Morgan Stanley, Peter Hooper of Deutsche Bank, and with terrific IMF experience, Frederick Mishkin with a terrific textbook on macroeconomics, a former Fed governor, and Amir Sufi, who owns fiscal debt analysis. And, Mike, there was another guy who helped with the paper. <laughs> Michael Faroli, J.P. Morgan Securities Chief U.S. Economist. Uh, we should point out this was uh, Friday. The Chicago Booth School every year holds a monetary policy forum, which has become the event. It is. For true, anybody true. interested in uh, what monetary policy is, uh, the challenges and the options for monetary policy ahead. It's once a year, and it is uh, the, the biggest hitters in economics and monetary policy all over the country. You can say that because I wasn't there. Exactly. Thank you. Uh, and Michael Faroli selected as uh, sort of the lead author on a uh, paper um, on what the Fed's supposed to do about communications. This is one of the longer papers I've ever read <laughs> because the Fed has some significant issues in terms of how it communicates with the markets. And I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. But uh, the group you mentioned put together some recommendations on what the Fed should be doing. And we welcome uh, Michael to talk about it with us. Uh, obviously, uh, the Fed's had problems throughout the financial crisis in communicating its policies. But you start in the paper, Mike, with the, the from the basis that as they normalize policy, communications becomes even more of a challenge. That's right. I think, uh, you know, when they were at the zero bound, there were some, um, I think, clear uh, communication layups, uh, in particular their ability to kind of uh, state that they were going to stay low for a very extended period and give some calendar dates to what they meant by that. I think now that we're getting away somewhat from the zero lower bound, uh, that raises some different issues about what, you know, what constitutes best policy in terms of Fed communication about the, you know, the future path of interest rates. Well, it's easy to say uh, we don't like the way you communicated and uh, here's a different phrase you should use. But how did you go through and quantify the Fed's issues uh, the way economists tend to do and figure out where the problems are? Yeah, you know, so first of all, I think we want to give the Fed credit. They have come a long way from where they were in the early 90s when they didn't even communicate anything to the markets. Uh, and generally speaking, they are attempting to, I think, do the right thing. And theory would say that the right thing is to communicate a path that is very data dependent. So rather than give, you know, a specific 
uh, time horizon or say how many hikes we're going to do this year or next year, uh, you know, best policy would suggest that they try to convey to the market what matters to the Fed and how the Fed will react as as the data have changed. So they've done that. But, you know, what, what we did was kind of look at how um, how uh, rates respond to data surprises. And if the Fed isn't conveying an expectation that is data-dependent, we'd expect to see the market respond less to data and more to Fed communications, which at times has happened. Um, and, you know, part of that is, you know, what I just described as theory and theory uh, has met an imperfect world where sometimes, uh, you know, the market just doesn't understand what the Fed is saying, so they have to say it more bluntly and say, you know, we're not going to hike rates for, you know, X, X amount of time. Um, but ideally, you know, I think as we get away from the zero bound, uh, what would be ideal is for the Fed to um, to continue to communicate uh, not so much, hey, we're going to hike four times this year or two times this year, but we're going to respond as we get closer to our mandate and, and really, you know, hammer home what the mandate is rather than X amount of dots, you know, having a certain amount of rate hikes. I look, uh, Michael Ferroli, congratulations on the paper. You've got a great set of papers cited in the back, including Orphanides' 2002 paper, which I call the Toolbox Paper. Rick Mishkin, who helped you write the paper 12 years ago, can central bank transparency go too far? Why are we still asking this question? I mean, Rick was way out front on this, as he always is, but yeah. that was 12 years ago, and we're asking the same question. Yeah, so, you know, I think at the time, Rick, Rick was partly asking about, uh, you know, whether Fed meetings should be televised. Um, that seemed to be a bad idea, and, and I think that generally still is a bad idea. Uh, and I think there's now a slightly different issue, which is, you know, if the Fed in December, if the median person thought there was four hikes was the most likely thing, does it actually help to say that? Or does it – because, you know, that, that median person felt that way the economy, which may be changing. And yeah. if the market only hears the four hikes but doesn't hear the part about uh, the economy yeah. changing, then, then there's, I think, a risk, a, a risk of misperception. There. Would you get rid of the dots? I think, you know, I have to say our, our, our group of authors kind of cleaved on this issue. Um, I would probably favor getting rid of the dots. I think you either have to get rid of them or improve them. I would favor getting rid of them because I think improving them is going to be difficult. But there is an argument that, you know, if you add things like fan charts and so forth, that you could further convey the uncertainty that's um, uh, embedded in those dots. But I think the simplest thing may be just to get get rid of them that they may have outlived their usefulness. You know, and I think you see that particularly in this period since since December, where the Fed has been getting a lot of grief from commentators about you know how out of touch their forecast is. Well, you know, again, things change, and the Fed's job isn't unlike many of us to be you know great forecasters, is to react to what is changing in the economy. And you know. Arguably, some you know some things have changed since December, and so if the dots are going to you know kind of have this uh, misperception attending to them, then maybe it's better just to get rid of them. But you know, I, so I think you either get rid of them or or improve them by um, emphasizing the uncertainty in the outlook. 
The dots flow from the survey of economic uh, projections, which the Fed puts out uh, four times a year, basically their view, in individual views on what the economy is going to do. The interest, And you look at the SEP in the paper um, and whether or not it should be retained or changed. The interesting thing to me is if you look at what the Fed forecasts for 2016, the economy is performing better in every category, better in every category mm-hmm. than what the Fed forecasts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's going to be a tricky um, issue when you get to the March meeting in two weeks' time is that if you're getting closer to the mandate on both inflation and employment, why then would you be taking out a lot of rate hikes in, in, in the dots? Uh, now, two reasons for that. One, I think, is uh, the move down in some survey measures of inflation expectations has probably got them a little bothered. Uh, and then the second thing is I think some of the developments in financial markets – may tell them that, okay, while this year, you know, so far we're tracking better, financial markets are adding some, you know, downside risk to both uh, employment and inflation. Um, but but you're absolutely right that uh, uh, inflation's already now above where they thought it would be at in the fourth quarter of this year, and we're only two-tenths above their uh, fourth quarter unemployment rate forecast. So, um, you know, arguably we're, we're, we're getting pretty close to, you know, their – both of their goals. Well, what what was the conclusion in terms of the um, the survey of economic projections in terms of whether that needs to be changed? You know, I think in terms of the economic forecasts, uh, I don't think that itself uh, has too many problems with that. I think the market understands that their views on um, you know growth and inflation uh, uh, have uncertainty and. and you also have to remember that they're required mm-hmm. um, to publish that twice a year. So uh, publishing the economic forecast mm-hmm. four times a year, I don't think, is much of a problem. I think it's more the issue of publishing the interest rate forecast and whether that is confusing the market. Right. To, to kind of have this this feeling that right. it's the Fed's plan rather than maybe, just a, uh, a forecast. Maybe if they all had a thoughtful pipe in their hands, smoking their pipe while they were speaking, that would cut down on the communication. That's my careful analysis. Yeah, the yellow doesn't look like a pipe smoke. That's true. Uh, we'll catch a cigar probably. We'll come back with Michael Faroli of J.P. Morgan and address the immediate American economy and, of course, his uh, truly outstanding research and call on the terminal value, where we're going, our potential GDP, if you will. Uh, we'll touch on that. Really must, must listen. Michael Faroli out in our podcast. Look for them out at iTunes. Bloomberg Surveillance. Michael McKee and Tom Keen, uh, thrilled to bring them back to you. Our individual podcasts and the whole length of the program as well. Futures negative three. Time now to bring in Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Presidential hopefuls are in a final flurry of campaigning for support in states that will be voting in tomorrow's Super Tuesday contests. Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders will be in Massachusetts today. Donald Trump is clarifying his comments about a stance on receiving support from former Ku Klux Klan leader David Duke. Trump on Sunday was asked on CNN whether he rejected support from Duke. Trump replied, I don't know anything about David Duke. This morning on NBC's Today Show, he said he was given a very bad earpiece for the interview and that he disavowed David Duke all weekend long on Facebook and on Twitter. The movie Spotlight won for Best Picture at this year's Academy Awards. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Michael Barr, thanks so much. Foreign Exchange, Yen Weaker, uh, 113.07. Uh, 
Uh, interesting this morning. 113, oh, excuse me, stronger, I should say. That's the second time I've misspoke on that today. I must have stayed up too late for the Oscars. Yen stronger. I got that right. Stay with us. Bloomberg Surveillance. This news update brought to you by Cone Resnick Accounting Tax Advisory. During times of growth, crisis, or economic uncertainty, your business needs the Cone Resnick Advisory Group for the strategies to move forward. Find out more at ConeResnick.com. The Bloomberg Advisory.